don't wait too long to invest. I mean, don't sit around waiting and thinking about it too much. Just invest your money, make your money work for you. My other advice is to know yourself, know who you are and know what you're comfortable with. I mean, if you're not going to be able to kick the person out who doesn't pay rent or you don't want to pay somebody to manage your property, then don't do real estate. Do your research and think about what you're going to do. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 118. Clark, how you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? Doing great. You know, we had a couple of interesting things take place in, in our government recently, and one of those is the passing of the SECURE Act. Yeah, we were actually just talking about it, right, because somebody wrote in, too, and, and well, ironically, we were talking about it just a few days before that, and then we had somebody write in and talk about his plan to pass down his, his Roth IRA to a few generations and then have his, his grandchildren become very wealthy. But there's been some changes with that. And so we just thought we'd talk about that a little bit and, and make sure people are aware of that and, and kind of what that means for everybody, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, that we got that email and, and hopefully we didn't shatter his, he's a good listener and hopefully we didn't shatter his, uh, his, his dreams and his plans. But I think it's one thing to, to really be aware of how, legislation can affect and not just now but just in general right like as we plan some of these things we do today with our finances might be for 10 years down the road 20 years down the road 30 years down the road 40 years down the road or even longer and sometimes we can never really predict how legislation or congress will affect some of those changes so i think one one takeaway for sure seeing the passing of the secure act is to have options in, in my opinion yeah, so just as a brief, a brief recap for people that maybe haven't heard, the SECURE Act was passed in December of 19, and one element or one piece of that was was the minimalization or rather the reduction of passing down Roth or traditional IRAs that the heir had to sell it all within 10 years uh, after receiving it, after it was passed down. And so you couldn't just hold it and hold it and hold it your whole life and have it grow tax-free or, or tax-deferred. And then keep passing it down, and so you have to you have to sell everything or liquidate it within ten years. And I don't know what do they do if you don't do that. I don't remember reading. I'm sure it'll be some sort of forced withdrawal. But basically, what you had before is you could would take those withdrawal over your life expectancy, and and if you're a grandchild getting it passed down, I mean that you know say you're getting that at like a ten ten years old, eleven years old, you got seventy years or sixty years or whatever of growth. So in theory, these plans and these funds and the money that's in these tax-protected accounts could grow to really large sums. And Congress is sitting there looking, hey, man, we've got a lot of debt in this country. Where are some massive amount of assets that we could tap into? Oh, hey, we have these retirement plans. And traditionally, they've been withdrawing on these for life. Let's cut that down to 10 years. And that's basically what they've done. Right. And then we started talking, or I think you read an article, maybe you sent it to me, or we started talking, I can't quite remember how it all came up, about some of the additional changes that could be made. Yeah. Right. And so yep. some of the proposed legislation, actually, there was another one proposed this week that the HSA caps be increased that, that I saw. But 
particularly on the Roth and traditional IRAs, was required minimum distribution on Roth accounts, withdrawals required after you know, a Roth account hits a, a certain amount or a cap on Roth, Roth, uh, you know, balances. Contributions, so, yeah. Yeah, contributions too. Or, and, you know, the backdoor thing, of course, is always a, a thing that people look or speculate that that loophole could get rid of, even though they kind of just in the last year they said it was okay. But yeah, it's an interesting point, right? And, and with Trump passing these tax laws, but then it wearing off in 2026, I believe. It's just, it's interesting and, and something that we probably should talk about and ask people about in what do they think about legislation and how is a current political environment affecting their financial decisions? Yeah, totally. I think, you know, tax location is something that we don't talk about enough as it relates to retirement plans or investments or strategies in general. And I think the SECURE Act brings to light. And there's some things that, uh, you know, I maybe maybe they're debatable about the secure act as as being positives but it's definitely going to open up uh, you know they push the year the required minimum distribution age back to 72 which i think is a positive there's a lot of people that are living longer and working longer and everything else and you know it opens the plan up or or the options rather to to some part-time workers depending on how long they've been with a certain company so it kind of broadens that pool kind of stretches that age limit a little bit you know, before it used to be 70 and a half, now we're at 72. So there there are some positives that have come from it. You know, the, I think the biggest change with it, at least from what I've read and, and amongst some circles that we're in, is is just the way that annuities are going to be uh, treated and, and sold and whatnot. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that ends up playing out. You know, I'm sure people will debate that for a long time because, you know, those are very high commissioned type products. And, definitely is going to benefit those who are selling them more more than likely than the people that are actually partaking. But at the same time, you know, if somebody says, hey, look, I just want an income stream for life. If I get cash the day I get the cash, I spend it. So it's better off that I have annuity. You know, those people, that's going to work out well for them. Right. Anyway, just, yeah, something to keep your eye on, something interesting if you didn't if you didn't catch that. And, and like Jace just said, the required minimum distributions on traditional IRAs was just extended to age 72 from 70 and a half. So today's show, we've got Gigi, net worth at $3 million. We discuss how she got there, how Gigi ends up with free cars, which is kind of an interesting discussion, and many topics related to wealth building and mindset. On last week's show, we had Christian Bryce from Millennial Revolution. We talk about quitting their jobs and traveling the world, how they reached financial independence at the age of 31 and 32. They retired with about a million dollars and currently have a net worth just over $1.4 we also discuss with them what to do for health insurance, the possibility of market corrections, especially at such a young age to be retired, and how they gain confidence to actually quit their day jobs. Looking to read more and better yourself in 2020? Or do you have an ever-growing list of books you want to read? Well, our new sponsor, BookNotes, can help. BookNotes knows that you don't have enough time, money, or patience to read all the books you've been wanting to. That's why they've created short, easy-to-read, or listen-to summaries that help you learn, grow, and excel in your career and life. Summaries take an average of 5 to 15 minutes to consume and are a quick and easy way to get a base understanding of a book before you buy it. From nonfiction categories like finance, love, career, happiness, and health, to fiction and documentary, each summary highlights the key ideas of each title. BookNotes adds new content weekly, including top sellers and trending books from each category. I personally use book notes and listen to the summaries of Millionaire Next Door, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and Rich Dad Poor Dad. 
Try BookNotes free for seven days. Click on the link in the show notes and download the app to get access to hundreds of summaries of best-selling and new released books. We appreciate everybody tuning into the show each week and supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support us and the show. If you're interested in coming on the show, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Once again, we're always looking for new millionaires, different career paths, different stories. Got an amazing list of guests coming in the pipeline here in the next couple months, but always looking for for more. I think we mentioned earlier that we're going to have a couple uh, repeats of guests that we've had on the show before that we'll be bringing back on to kind of do an update on their portfolio and kind of what's taking place in their life as it relates to early retirement or even retirement in general and what they're doing to to uh, change their investment allocation. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Gigi. Gigi, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing now? Well, I'm a housewife and my husband is an engineer and we've managed to save about 2.75 to 3 million, depending on how you count it out. I don't know what else to tell you. We're in the middle of states. Awesome. Let's get into into the net worth a little bit. So, in between 275 and 3 million, how is that kind of broken up? So, in our 401k, we have about 65%, and then 15% is IRAs, and the rest is all investment accounts, annuities, you know, things like that. Uh, if you count our house, we get into the three million. If you don't, then we're at two point seven five. And our house is—I don't know—maybe ten, ten to twelve percent, depending on what you value our house at. We don't count it. Yeah, let's uh, let's have a little discussion about that. How come you don't count it? Because <laughs> we feel like you have to live in it. I mean, if you sell your, if you count your house as part of your your value, and then you sell it because you want the money or you need the money, then you say, well, now what do we do to live in? So the only time we ever counted it was just to to throw us up into the million when we were really close. But other than that, we've never that was about fifteen minutes of our life. I think we haven't counted it forever. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's an interesting thing, and I, and I know there's a debate about it amongst all everybody. Everybody's going to do it their own, you know, whether to count it in the net worth or whether to not count it in your net worth. But it is, you know, some people look at it and hey, it is an asset. I could sell it. I could turn it into cash. Other people, you know, especially I think this this concept got famous from from Robert Kiyosaki's book that you know, hey, it's a liability. It's always going to cost me money, even if I have it paid for. I still got to pay property taxes on it. I still got to pay bills on it. So I think it's interesting that, that you all kind of just decided not to, and it takes up you know roughly ten percent of your net worth. So the the money that's invested in in your four hundred one k and your IRAs is that in the stock market or is it self directed in real estate or how's that kind of broken up? I, we're mostly um, invested in funds. We work with a financial planner that we've worked with for a very long time, and between her and my husband and myself, we sit down probably once a year and we we go over our portfolio and pick what we think looks good. We all bring something to the table and kind of go from there. And how long have you been working with that financial planner? Gosh, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years. And is that, like, I'm assuming you've been contributing to, to your 401k and your IRAs much longer than that. So did this, at what point did you kind of start to get that person engaged? Or did you have someone prior to her? When prior to her, what we had done is talked to a couple people, you know, but then they want like a set amount, like they want like, go, oh, we'll take 15% and we'll manage it or we'll do the, you know, what we wanted was somebody we could play a flat fee to that wasn't going to try to sell us anything. We were looking for a really good financial planner. Believe it or not, my parents 
were talking to us and she had worked with them and they were thrilled with her. And so we said, well, let's try her and see if she fits with us. And we just found that we really like her. Oh, that's awesome. So did y'all start contributing to, to the 401k and the IRAs essentially immediately when you were eligible? Has this been a real long process or did you kind of get started a little bit later? We we did the 401ks, but mostly it just sort of sat there. We didn't, we, my husband hadn't done much. We got married a little bit later in life. So when we got married, I'm the one who kind of pushed and said, whoa, we can't just have cash. Like that doesn't make sense. So <laughs> that I had had a, I was a teacher and I'd had a 503B and I had been investing and I'd had a, a an accountant, you know, one of the investment banks. And so I sort of took him down the path of like, how do we make this money work for us? And how much do you pay? If you don't mind me asking, how much do you pay the financial advisor? You said it was a set fee, right? Yeah. If I tell you to less than a thousand a year. Wow. Wow. And and the funds that you're in, are those index funds? Are you guys index fund people or actively managed funds or a mix of both? Mix of both. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit, Gigi, about your mindset here. Um, just in, in a few of the notes that you sent us before we connected or started talking, a, a couple of things I just want to share. You said, we live a fine life, but we often drive instead of fly. We choose to vacation closer to home rather than jetting off to Cancun or another place. We put our energies into our children, our families, and experiences. So you guys consider yourself really a, a millionaire next door type of people, right? Yeah. You know, I had never read that book and, until just not that while, not too long ago. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's us, right? But yeah, we kind of do. We just have said that there's a whole lot to do within our neighborhood. There's a whole lot of experiences to be had just within our state, within our community, with our families, with our friends. And that's really what our priority is. We, we talk a lot about money among, you know, at the kitchen table, my husband and I, and then with the kids as well. And we've always talked about it in terms of what the priorities are. We've never talked about like, this is something we have that we can just be willy nilly about. Yeah. And, and just to read it again, I really like this. You said, because we're somewhat frugal, we don't use the newest phones and we don't drive the newest cars. Because of that, people often assume we can't afford it. There is never an assumption that I don't want to pay for that expense. So as you, I guess along this and kind of what you just said, how do you manage this with friends and relatives and, and whoever <laughs> else? Because, you know, you're, you're obviously the type of people and you shared with us that you want to do good deeds and help people and pay for somebody's electric bill or pay for something if they're struggling. How do you kind of manage talking about and letting people know how much you have or don't have? I mean, what's your preference there in, in discussing it or keeping it private? Uh, we just don't talk about it. I mean, money, you know, like most people generally don't want to talk about it. Like they don't want to talk about if they're hurting or if they're super rich. So like, I just find it pretty easy for the most part that we d we just don't talk about money. My, most of my friends and I just, it's never a discussion. Just, yeah. You know, when it comes up, it's when I'm, you know, like if we're going to do something, you know, I kind of have to be a little bit more aware that I can afford maybe something that some of my friends can't. Sure, sure. And, and you, you talked about it's all about kind of lifestyle choice, right? And people may have mm -hmm. the money, but they may spend it on a new car or a new phone. And, and you guys have elected not to do that. And and that's why, or a big portion of why you're at $3 million. I For us, yeah, absolutely. We make that decision, you know, and I think my kids have grown up hearing me talk about it, you know, like we could get the newest phone, you know, when they wanted a phone, I'm like, yeah, we can get the newest iPhone, whatever at the time. 
or we can get something a little bit less, maybe buy a little bit used or, or, you know, do something different. And that money can go to college and that can go to you having a, you know, debt-free school, you know? And so that's kind of, we've always looked at what, what the goals are and what the overall picture is rather than what the immediate wishes were. Yeah. And I, I really like also what you shared about helping others, right? I know you guys give a lot to charity and help where you can um, in, in giving rides and filling gas tanks and paying electric bills and, <laughs> and giving gifts, right? Some of these things that happen, and obviously it's really commendable. How do you decide who to help, how often to help, and, and how much to give? I think I think that's something that, that people struggle with, right? Especially if, if they have money to give. Because it's pretty easy to find ways to give it, right? Or, or find sources or, or charities that you can donate to. Oh, it's very, very easy to find people that need help. And it's very easy to find charities that will take your money. A um, couple things. One is if we're involved in something, for example, my boys were involved in scouts. If we're involved in something, then we, we make a point of supporting that financially as well. Um, roughly 10% of our money goes to to churches. My husband and I are different religions, but we roughly take about 10% of our our funds and put it towards our church. And then oftentimes, if we feel that people in our lives that we see, they're trying to help themselves and they're just trying to, they're, you know, they're just in a bad spot, then we're more than willing to help. You know, I often end up filling gas tanks at the gas station. That's probably one of the bigger ones for, for me. And and I'm just curious, how does that happen? You just approach someone and, and do it or you say, I'll pay for pump five as well? Or how does that work? No, usually like, you know, you'll see people like, okay, I've got five bucks, you know, and they're trying to fill their car up with five bucks or, you know, sometimes people will approach you and ask you for a couple bucks to kind of put in their car and I'll just, you know what, let's just fill it up. I've, we've, um, it just seems to happen at gas stations a lot to me for whatever reason. You know, if we're like, if we see people on the road when we're traveling and, and they need gas, we'll put gas or if they have kids, we'll try to buy them some food and, and gas and so that they can get further down the road. Good for you guys. Good for you. And, and I know we just talked about this briefly, but it's something that comes up frequently with a lot of the millionaires we talk to is, is having resources or somebody else that you can talk to about finances, right? And about either your investment direction or financial ideas or kind of sharing that you do have money and what you do and don't spend on. Do, do you have anybody like that that you talk to or or how have you found <laughs> it, it? Maybe you don't, right? You said you just yeah. don't really talk about it with your friends, <laughs> obviously with your husband, but. Yeah, I talk with my, we talk, my husband and I talk and then the financial planner and I talk, we talk and that, that helps. Um, you know, really for the most part, I, I, we just don't talk about it, you know? I mean, it'd be nice to be able to sometimes once in a while brag about it, but for the most part, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's the milestones. Wow, we hit a million or wow, we hit two million, you know, like that. But really for the most part, money in and of itself is just, it's just another tool to be used. We don't look at it like, at least I don't, we don't look at it as something that's um, like a big deal. Yeah. So w- was a million dollars a goal then or was was getting a net worth a goal or has it kind of just been, hey, we live frugally and we've hit these milestones and, and this is great, but it's not been something that we've been totally focused on? No, the goal has always been taking care of ourselves, taking care of our kids, helping our kids through college, you know, to help them get be debt free. The goal has always been to, you know, it's always been long term, like to be able to retire. When you talk about money and what it means like for us, you know, the option to quit when you hate your job, the option to 
to go on a nice vacation if you wanted to go to Cancun, which we don't usually because there's enough things that we want to do otherwise. But, you know, that's that's what we talk about when we talk about money. It's never been like a net worth or a value that we've been, tried to reach. It's always been, what is it we want this money to do for us? Or what is it? Why do we want it? So how how do you do that? How do you say no so frequently? And, and, and how do you how have you kind of reined in? I mean, it's hard to do, right? Once you once you get up to three million dollars and you know you can afford <laughs> anything and you know you can take a vacation. How do you, I mean, it's, it kind of comes back to keeping up with the Joneses, right? But it's also at, hey, once I've reached this level, I want to spend some of it. So I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> How do I not spend? I guess I'm just in the habit of not spending, you know, plus I still have a child at home. And so, you know, college is still there on the line. You know, I've got my other two, I think I've got three children and two of them, I think we've got so that they're going to be able to be debt free when they graduate. Awesome. But it's always... You know, it's always when I'm looking at the newest whatever phone or the newest whatever car, it's always, I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's this other thing over here that I can't do, you know, so. And and just curious, you mentioned your kid's education. How do you do that with them? Do they pay for part of it? Do you pay for all of it? Or how do you kind of manage that? Well, we knew that we wanted them to have some buy-in. So, what we tried to do, they've gotten scholarships because they're smart and amazing. Let me just take a break and tell you my children are amazing. <laughs> but <laughs> they are smart and amazing children. And so they've gotten, the two oldest ones have gotten scholarships. And so that's helped. And then we've tried to split the difference. What we tell them is we'll pick up the first year. And then the second year we do 50. And then the third year we do less. And by the fourth year, they need to be on their own. Kind of ease them into a, adulthood okay. so 150 25 zero maybe yeah roughly I like, I like that so how come no just curious how come no real estate in your portfolio obviously you have your primary residence you know when i think it's about knowing who you are there's two things one we do have some reads you know i think that real estate is a part of a smart investment strategy uh-huh. i'm we my husband and i are not property managers and we just didn't want the hassle I think it comes down to knowing who you are. If you're comfortable being that person that wants to go handle man, you know, run money, run property, excuse me. If you're that person that wants to go run a property and manage that, then more power to you. We just, we're not that type of people. We're kind of more laid back. And then we'd feel bad if people couldn't make rent. Right. So, you know, I think it becomes, you know, really is about knowing who you are and knowing what your values are. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys budget consistently? <laughs> um oh my gosh yeah and no yeah i have a budget we have a budget and we've run a budget and probably every two years we sit down and make a budget but i'm the king of not following the budget <laughs> you know we sit down and we talk about it and then i have to go to my husband and say well i didn't follow it here and i didn't follow it here and i didn't follow it here but we try i mean we generally you know as long as we're taking in more than we spend sure. and we're kind of living within our budget. I mean, groceries may go up, but we don't go out to eat or we go out to eat more. And then I end up having to cut back somewhere else and we feel okay about it. Yeah. Actually, most of the millionaires we interviewed don't budget. So, all right, Jason, I think most of them, similar to you, I think at times they do. And and then there's other times that they cut back, but I I think we've talked to a few that kind of track it, you know, religiously every, every month, but for the most part, most of them do not. So, Right. Yeah, so I'd yeah. say that's probably one of the more 
surprising statistics or trends, I think, you know, of the 100 plus millionaire interviews we've done, the majority of them don't budget. They might look and, and assess situations and see where they're at, but none of them are sitting there, you know, and doing so, so-called envelopes. You know, Dave Ramsey teaches envelope system. None of them are, are, are doing that. Yeah, we tried that for a month. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, we tried that. And we were like, for yeah, this month. is terrible. <laughs> yeah, we were like, this is terrible. This does not fit us. You know, it, it, again, it's just knowing who your personality. And so I do, like, I enter everything. I do the day-to-day. My husband does more than long-term. And I enter everything and I and I track it. But I don't really get too worried about it if I'm a little bit over here or a little bit under here, whatever. We sort of just look at the bottom line more than we do anything else. Sure. So the financial advisor, I know we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but but just going going back, how did you initially find that person? My parents. Okay. Gotcha. My parents. They, and you just kind of keep them in check to have a, a good, I guess, set of eyeballs on it or reviewing things. and. I, yeah. And I think, you know, again, it's about knowing yourself. You know, we... My husband would be the type, you know, and bless him, bless him. He's a great person, but he's the type that wants to think a lot. And so she kind of keeps us moving forward rather than like getting stuck in the rut of like, let's think about that. Let's think about that. You know, and I would be more the type that's like, let's just buy that. That sounds great. Let's buy that stock. I like that name. And um, so she kind of, she comes to the table as another part of our partnership, if you will. To have those discussions. Almost kind of like a mediator, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or like a second check, if you will. And I mean, she, don't get me wrong. She's amazing. And she, and she always like, when we sit there, she knows what she's talking about and she's willing to sit there and talk to us for as long as we want. And, you know, but when, at the end of the day, when we go home, we sit down and look at what she's suggesting and make those decisions, you know, or if we go to her, like, just before college graduate, you know, before my kids were graduating, we went and kind of sat down and ran some numbers with her just as a second double check. Yeah, totally. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Where do you kind of go from here? Do you have a target net worth or do you have a retirement date in mind? What's kind of the plan for the future? Well, the plan for the future is that my husband's older than me. He's about nine years older than me and he was ready to retire as long as he enjoyed working. You know, we let him work. Now that he's getting ready to, he's not enjoying it as much, it's time for him to retire. And so that's kind of where we're at as we're running the numbers and looking at what kind of lifestyle we want and what kind of big expenses we need to purchase before he retires and what kind of things we'd like to do. And that's kind of where we're at right now in our life. How do we fit all of that with one student graduating you know, I have my youngest will be graduating in a couple of years. And how does all that work together? Do you feel financially that you're able to retire with where you are now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, and I and I don't see us changing a whole lot. I just feel like we need to, and I think he does as well, that we need to sort of wrap our heads around all of that. And what does the future look like and make that make some decisions? I mean, we don't really have a net worth value that we're aiming for. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand. And I think it's, you know, as we've talked to more and more people who've kind of either retired or or been on the early retirement track or just normal age, you know, traditional age in their sixties kind of retirement age, more and more have, have always been financially ready, stable. It's been more the emotional, like, how do I make this transition? What am I going to transition to? 
because I've been doing mm-hmm. this profession, in your husband's case, engineering for all these years. What is my purpose? How is that going to change going forward? And then what do I spend my money on? Because, you know, a lot of our money gets consumed in consumables, right? Like if you're driving a car to work all the time and back and forth and, you know, your your food bill typically goes up when you're working and stuff because you've got lunches out and everything else. Even if you're bringing your lunch, there's still lunches that end up happening more so than maybe you would have it at your own house. Uh, you know, so these kinds of things we've talked to several millionaires and it, it kind of creates an interesting conversation of, of kind of what's that transition like. And, you know, we've talked to several that have said that, hey, you know, I've got to really, I really had to ease into it. Like I couldn't just do it all at once. It couldn't just be like I walked in the office on December 31st and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, those are the discussions we we are having now is, what does that look like? What does the future look like? What do we want to do? How does all this fit in with money that we have? And where do we want to go from here? And what is what are our goals? You know, how much more do we need? So let, let's kind of continue on that. Are, do you plan on, on changing your allocation at all as you kind of transition into retirement? Do you go into more bonds or not? I don't, maybe a little bit. I But the last, you know, when the last time we've talked about it, we never the discussion was more along the lines of just keep doing what we're doing. You know, we may, we may do some, some pullback, you know, and be a little bit more conservative, but I don't feel like we're overly risky as it is right now. Totally. And, and as you're kind of thinking about this and thinking, let's project on the real long term, what's kind of the plan at the, you know, at the outset, are you planning to give a lot of this money away to charity, give it to your kids What's kind of the the mindset there of of kind of the long, long long-term planning? For us, we've always, I'm kind of the planner in the family and the detail person on a lot of that stuff. So as soon as we had kids and as soon as I was quitting my job to stay at home, um, we've always had a will and the plan has always been just to give them everything. As they get older, we're sort of, starting to have those discussions. I mean, I never thought that we wouldn't just give it all to them, but now we're kind of looking at them saying, you know, they're going to be engineers and they're going to be accountants and they're going to be doing good things with their, their own selves. And do they really need our money? So we're kind of wondering, do we do the more Warren Buffett thing and say, it's going to go to charity or not right now. The current plan is that it's all going to go to them. Do you have those discussions with them all? Are they aware of, of kind of the plan and the will, or is that something that y'all have kind of kept? Just between <laughs> your husband? They will if they listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> if you share it with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we've never really had, you know, we just haven't really talked a lot about it. I mean, it, you know, we've, we just figure we're going to make the decision for what's best for us and what's best for where they're at. I mean, you just never know. Cause I, I've never been one of those people that think, oh, everything needs to be equal, 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 you know, with three kids. Like, I feel like, you know, if you have one that needs a little bit more help, then maybe that's what we do. And, but I mean, I think they're all in good shape. They're headed into being good shape and they're good kids and they're making good decisions with their lives right now. So yeah, generational, know. generational planning is something that, that we often talk about, but I think most people are in, on the same page as you, right? I mean, they kind of have an idea, Hey, I think I'm going to pass it down to my children. But for the most part, I think it's probably a decision that's maybe made a little bit later, right? Or, or people have an idea, but don't have a, a sure right. path of what they want to do. Right, exactly. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, we, we've never been in this spot, like when they were young, we've always, you know, and I still, like I said, I still have one at home. So right now we don't see any need to change anything, but as they get older, we may, 
we may revisit that. You know, I know like my parents are fairly well off as well. And so as my parents leave money, we're going to be addressing that as well. And so, you know, it may be that they don't need as much as they make, they could possibly come into. Yeah, which is hard to handle, right? I mean, it's a couple, I think we've had a couple of those conversations where a parent passed away, right? And either someone received a large inheritance mm-hmm. or, you know, had to manage that with different siblings. And that can o- often be a sticky situation, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ideal would be able to put it in a trust that like went on perpetual, you know, like take care of my grandkids and my great grandchildren. <laughs> right. Sadly, it doesn't always work that way. Sure. So you guys started pretty early, right? Were you ever in debt? Did you ever have any school debt? Did you have any, uh, you know, any other debt besides, I guess, your primary residence? The biggest debt we've ever had is our primary residence between the two of us. My husband and I got married a little bit later. He's a little bit older. He's about 10 years, nine, 10 years older than me. So he had not done near as much. He had a little bit of debt that was all paid off. Like he had some student loan debt that was paid off before we got married. And so our biggest our biggest step was the house. And we just sort of plugged away. Did that answer your question? I think that's great. No, you know, Gigi, I just got I got one question. You know, you've talked a lot about how your kids are in great shape and, and they may not even need any inheritance and whatnot. What do you think's been key to raising them to be the way that they have kind of turned out, at least to this point, in their mindset and their desire to get scholarships and, and continue kind of that legacy of learning and handling money properly? I think, you know, first of all, they never really knew how much we were worth. You know, it wasn't until they started going to school and we were talking about applying for scholarships and they found out they couldn't apply for for need-based scholarships that they really found out, what, you know, where we were. So they never really knew the worth the value. But I think we've also had a lot of discussions over the years of like, like what what the goals are, you know, the goal is that you go to college and the goal is that you're debt free and the goal is that you, you know, that you learn to manage your money and the goal, you know, so we've kind of put those goals and talked about them at the dinner table with them a bunch. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, if you're talking about like how you educate your kids about money, like we, I've put a bunch of thought into it. I homeschooled and I felt like, you know, if I didn't teach my children, then nobody else was there to do it. There wasn't a backup at the school or anything like that. You know, so we did some things like we gave them an allowance just for being a part of the family. You know, I didn't work and I didn't feel like I could say to my kids, well, you don't work. You can't have money because I've got part of my husband's money. So we gave them an allowance just for being part of the family. And then as they got older, if they wanted more money, then they came to us and said, well, I need a bigger allowance. We'd start talking to them about how they could earn money, you know, where money comes from. Those discussions happened kind of organically throughout that process. The other thing we did when we gave them an allowance is we said we wanted them to put money towards some charity. We talked about how they could find charities or different charities or, or ways to help other people. We encouraged them to save money, and then we also talked to them about spending, you know, so that they had, and the allowance was small enough that if they wanted something, they kind of almost had to save for it. Wow, that's awesome. Did you encourage them to get uh, jobs in high school or in college? or No. Now, I mean, you know, they both have jobs, but it's been kind of a, and and it's nice. I'm thrilled that they do, but, 
you know, it's not something we said, oh, you have to get a job. You know, my son got, you know, they both kind of had, have had opportunities fall in their lap at, at college. And so that's been good. Yeah. The other, the other thing we did to educate him just kind of as a side note before I forget is as they got older, my parents gave him some money. They gave him a thousand dollars and we took it down to like a, you know, one of those investment banks and let them invest that. Mm. So, you know, they, we, over the dinner table, we've had discussions about is Amazon tanking or not? Is Dollar General a good buy or not? You know, those types of things we, you know, When do you, you know, what is a bond fund? What is a fund? Why would you invest in a fund versus an individual stock? And because they had that money, there was that game and, you know, they had that buy-in, you know, they were interested in it. Yeah. So just before we we move on to some rapid fire questions here, is there anything, either a habit or, or something that you could point to and say, hey, that's why I'm a millionaire. Is it because you were frugal? Is it because you worked hard? Is it because you didn't keep up with the Joneses? Is there, is there maybe one or two things that stand out to you that say, hey, this has really driven my financial success? I think all of those. I mean, I don't feel like we're super, so frugal that we can't enjoy ourselves. I mean, backing up just a minute and filling that in. I mean, we, you know, if we want to go do something, we go do it. You know, when we want to fish, when we wanted to go learn how to fish, we went out and bought fishing poles. I'm just more inclined to buy the used ones because I know we're not going to fish every day of our lives. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, I mean, I feel like we've had everything we've ever wanted and have done just about everything that we've wanted. My, I don't know, maybe my kids would disagree, but... Um, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> but, you know, not after listening to this. Hopefully not. But, you know, I feel like, you know, being a little bit frugal, being a little bit smart with your money and investing... I, you, you've got to make your money work for you one way or the other. I mean, for some people, that's real estate. For us, it was, you know, stocks and bonds and funds. And, you know, for others, it's owning a company. I mean, I think you've got to make your money work for you. And if you're not doing that, then that's that's a mistake. So just to dive into some rapid fire questions here, what's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? I had to think about that one. <laughs> 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 I think... 50 bucks was probably the most expensive. Okay. What about shoes? In the last 20 years, 50 to $60 has been the most expensive. When I was working at, you know, 75, because I was on my feet a lot as a teacher. So I'd invest in some really nice shoes that lasted a long time. Yeah. A most expensive car? That we bought? Yeah. People give me cars. Um <laughs> <laughs> Five thousand, maybe. And and what kind of car? How many miles you're buying them used? Obviously, a Jeep. I I think that was the Jeep Liberty. We, you know, what we find, and I guess this would be a piece of advice for for anybody is what we find is that if you're not in a rush to buy a car and you want to buy used and you just watch the car you want in the color you want with the interior you want will pop up with low mileage. And a, and a good price. I mean, it just does. There's enough people out there getting rid of their cars that they don't like. Hmm. You know, so yeah. I, I I don't remember what the miles were, but it wasn't it wasn't high at all. Yeah, I just asked us five thousand, right? It's not very much. No, it's not much at all. We just, you know, like my Jeep now. I'm I'm kind of a Jeep person, so my Jeep, not my kid's Jeep, which was the five thousand one, is starting to have problems, and we're starting to watch, and we'll find something that we like that sure that works for us. Okay, what's the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? I, I was thinking about that. There's two. 
I had a bunch of kids from dinner that their dinner from church, excuse me. I had a bunch of kids from church and their dinner fell through. So we went out and we bought a bunch of pizzas and I, I think I hit Domino's and I hit pizza. (laughs) I (laughs) hit all these pizza places. And I think that was probably 150, maybe a little bit more, 175. And then probably the same amount for a dinner that we went out that my husband's meal was on an account, but we paid for mine. And that was about 100. Okay. Uh, What items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you? Anything that you kind of splurge on? Little things like pedicures. Travel is always, you know, if we're going to splurge something big, travel. And then helping others, I think. Filling people's gas, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And what's not worth the money? Um, Things that don't give you value. A bigger house, furniture, a car that you drive off the lot and lose all the money on it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How old you, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? No, I don't know. Gosh, 30, 30 something, maybe 39. I don't know. Okay. Uh, How much do you spend a year? Annual household spending? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) That's okay. I I didn't know you were going to ask me. (laughs) No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. That's Uh, a new rapid fire question. (laughs) You got to listen to the to the more recent episodes for that one. I guess so. they're not really rapid fire, right? Because anybody who comes on and listens to a podcast can formulate all their answers. So we probably got to do a little better job of mixing them up. But I think they're, they're, I spend less than we get. I can tell you that. <laughs> all right, that's good. We'll start there. Uh, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, the range of household income through your working life. I, well, I don't know. I I know we right now what we bring in is over a hundred thousand. Um, Probably, I don't know, how's that? I, yeah, as no, a teacher, good. I didn't earn a ton. Yeah. So just wrapping up here, Gigi, what mistakes have you made along the way? Or, or what advice can you give to somebody who is maybe in a similar position as you, right? They say, hey, I, I'm going to live a pretty simple life. I don't need to, there's a lot to see around where I live. I don't need to spend a bunch on on vacations. I don't need a brand new car. I don't need a new cell phone or, or, or just to anybody in general who maybe does live that life, what's kind of your advice is your, that you could share? My advice would be don't wait too long to invest. I mean, don't sit around waiting and thinking about it too much. Just invest your money, make your money work for you. My other advice is to know yourself, know who you are and know what you're comfortable with. I mean, if you're not going to be able to kick the person out who doesn't pay rent or you don't want to pay somebody to manage your property, then don't do real estate, you know? do your research and think about what you're going to do. Set your priorities and set your goals. I mean, for me, those are the, you know, every time we, I have to make a big purchase, it becomes, is this a priority or is college a priority or is retirement a priority? I feel like my husband works hard for my money or for my money. How do you like that? I feel like my (laughs) husband works hard for his money, for the money. And it wouldn't be right for me to, to just make that harder for him to retire. Sure. And are there any key mistakes that stand out or that you can point to that you've made? Yeah, credit card debt. You know, I I think if you get into credit card debt, that's that's not a good thing. That takes forever to pay off. We pay off our credit card every month, but um, early on, we we had a little bit of credit card debt. And then I think, again, waiting too long to do something, you know, make your money work for you as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, that's Gigi Networth, about $3 million. Awesome story and, and terrific advice. Thanks so much for coming on the show tonight and, and sharing your story with all of us. Well, you're welcome. It was it was fun. It's an experience. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.